Uh, Connor, you want to say a prayer for us? Absolutely. Father God, thank you so much for this day and bringing us all here uh, to this, this beautiful big room. Uh, God, I thank you just for, for, for every face here uh, alongside us. Lord, as, we, as we look around tonight as we're um, answering questions about Jonah 4, which none of us have ever read before. Uh, I pray that you, that you keep our hearts humble as we, as we discuss your scriptures, but uh, speak through us all. Man. Speak through us all with, with your scriptures, with our convictions, with the different things that we have read and we do know. Uh, allow us to, you know, to share our perspective and, and our knowledge with love and sincerity for one another, uh, and, and ultimately for the benefit of us as a body. Lord, we're a community. We're family. Uh, and what we do, we do for each other, God. Uh, what we do, we do for you. So, uh, again, God, it's such a privilege. It's such a pleasure to be uh, present with, with my brothers and sisters. God, I thank you so much. Amen. 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 All right, don't forget, today is Connor's birthday. Yeah. We'll sing happy birthday at the end. But whoever started singing, we're fired up for you. Um... All right, so a couple of announcements before we jump in. The first announcement is we're looking to add to our social media team. Now, I know what you're thinking. Ah, oh, responsibility, woe is me. It's difficult. Oh, I hope Steve doesn't tap my shoulder. It is an excellent opportunity to be used by God to proclaim the message. Social media is playing a huge role in today's society, and we need someone to serve in that. And I believe, again, if this is your first time, you're like, I know nothing about the internet, man. I don't even know who owns it. <laughs> we pray for you. But it's an opportunity to grow. So there's, we understand, especially if this is your first time doing something like this, it is growing pains, and we're okay with that. Really what we're looking for, we're trying to create a team so no one person feels the immense burden of it. Do you know how challenging it is for one person to do it for a year, year and a half, it, it, it wears them out. So we wanna, we wanna extend the load and help people out. Now, you might say, Steve, how come you don't do it? If some of you are willing to preach a little bit more often, I'll take on more of a role with social media, honestly. You wanna do it? Yeah, I'll preach. Oh, I, I wasn't talking about the preaching. <laughs> I set myself up, right? <laughs> But seriously, please pray about it. Please consider it. it is a need and it is an opportunity for you to be a blessing in this congregation. You know, I think one of the things that characterizes God people from all time till present day is the hear my send me spirit. I think that's something we're losing in our generation is kind of hear my send him. We want to be people who are hear my send me. I want to serve. I want to give. I want to use my talents. I am not just someone who sits here, but I'm someone who gives when there's a need. That's my appeal to you. I know God's spirit will work through that. Amen. All right. Uh, the next announcement. So we are wrapping up Jonah. It's coming to an end. This is something that you never hear a minister get to say often. Ministers seldomly get to finish the series that they start. There's always something that comes up and you just kind of got to abandon ship a little bit. You're like, oh, we're going to go through the Old Testament. Then halfway through the year, you're like, you know what? The Holy Spirit is leading us through this book next. 
So I'm excited about that, but what we're gonna do the next couple of weeks is look at the big story and how we tell the big story. We're gonna go from Genesis to Revelation. How do we tell this big story? Hopefully at the end of that series, you'll be able to tell the big story in five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour. So if you're in an Uber, we don't do Uber up here because everything's close. We rather ride a bike. But if you're in an Uber or you're, you're, you're on the plane, you can tell the big story and prayerfully set them up to um, see the Lord that we serve. So that's what we're going to do beginning next time. We're, we're, we're going to kind of try to condense it a little bit so we can set up discipleship groups right afterwards, too. So we'll break up into discipleship groups to talk about the big story and how we could tell it. Because that's what the Bible is. It is a story. All right. With that being said, we are finally in Jonah chapter four. Can you guys read Jonah chapter four in silence? And then we'll read it collectively as a community. All right, let's read it together as a community. Jonah chapter four, beginning in verse one. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take me away. Take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, 
is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out, sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But then at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is. He said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said to, said to him, said, you have, been, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left, and also many animals. The end. The end. Second Timothy 3, um, 14. Can I get someone to read that? Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. Can I get a volunteer to read that? Go for it, AJ. Amen. All right. So like I've been talking about before, the Old Testament, but really all the scripture is wisdom literature. Scripture functions as a story as well. Uh, for those of you who are readers and you love reading, I would encourage you to read um, Scott McKnight Blue's Parakeet. It's a really good book talking about how this is an overall story and how you should read this as a story scripture. Um, but it is wisdom literature. It is intended to make you wise for salvation. It is intended to prepare you for good work. God wants us to study our Bible, to get into it so we can not know more, but do good work. And this story that we just read in Jonah is a part of the good work he wants to equip us with. And again, I think in our modern culture, we add applications to every paragraph in the Bible. And sometimes that's OK, but most of the time it's not. It's a huge story that's being told. And we need to see the story within a larger story. Are you guys familiar with the term meta narrative? Meta means big, narrative means story. The big story of the Bible is oneness. There's a lot of ways you could break up the big story, but it's oneness. Oneness with God, oneness with one another, oneness with creation. We are all one. And Jonah's story points to 
the fracture, the fracturing, whatever word I'm looking for, to the world. And so Jonah is a prophet. And prophets mainly critique injustice and idolatry. We're going to circle our way back to that, and, and, and we're going to evaluate our dear brother in the faith, Jonah. He fled. He ran. He's been having an interesting four chapters. What did we notice about Jonah chapter four? Now that we finally read it all, what did we notice about Jonah chapter four? He was angry. Why was he angry? He was angry because God showed compassion on the Ninevites. He was angry that God showed compassion on the Ninevites. He was angry because he was right from the start. He was right from the start. <laughs> Anyone else? What are some things we pick up on chapter four? Maybe he's angry because he could have stayed home. He's angry because he could have stayed home. He wanted to. He wanted to. He said, I, I wanted to stay. I knew you were going to be this way. Anything else that we pick up here? He's very melodramatic. Because everything he says is like, he almost seems so immature. Like, he's like a 10 year old. Yes. Like, I didn't get my way. <laughs> yes. If you've ever worked with a child four and under, you see the melodramatic nature of it. <laughs> But that's, uh, that's uh, actually a literary device that the author is trying to help us notice. He, the, the author is exaggerating so we can pick up on it. You know, the best way to convict a crowd is to tell a joke. Jokes have a way of seeping in, seeping in through our guards and helping us kind of see ourselves that we can laugh, but then when we walk away to the car, we kind of like, but that's actually true, though. <laughs> that's what the author did here with the literary style of exaggerating his emotions. Josiah. Come on, bro. You've been taking Bible 101. There is a significance there. There's a huge significance there. We're going to look at it maybe. Anything else that we picked up on Jonah? All right. Why do you say that? Okay, okay, maybe, potentially. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. Is Jonah's response surprising based off the four chapters we now read? What about the fish? He prayed deliverance. He went chapter three. He preached the word and he went one day's journey into the city. Wasn't he a changed man after the fish? Apparently not, right? But, but for, for those of you who, who humored me and, and, and suspended your chapter four idea, you could clearly see, if we never read it before, you're like, where did he go wrong? You could still say it's surprising for a prophet to have this response. Extremely surprising for a prophet of the Lord. <laughs> We're going to go back to it. We're going to circle back. But, but seriously, the, the story has been setting us up to give us what? That 
come from the bottom and it is this guy who's like, I got it, I figured it out. This is the story of redemption. And it kind of ends here. Chapter four is so unfulfilling. It's just kind of like God ends it with a statement like, come on, dude. What do you think Jonah told his wife? God is kind. Oh. You're like, what happened? I was in a fish. You, you, the, but the thing that bothers you is God kindness? You're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> not the fish. No. You were in Nineveh. What were you? God, oh, you're not listening. God's too kind. Jonah is intended to, this story is intended to do what in our hearts as we read it? You know, most of us, we read the Bible as the good guys. As the guy who figured it out, like, none of us in here would ever be Jonah. We're, we're all like God, right? We're, 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 we're jo- jokingly, but we're all, all like God, right? Like, when you hear a sermon or something about repentance or evangelism, yeah, they out there need to go do it. Yeah, they out there need to go respond to this. People out there need to live faithfully. Jonah... It's feeling what we normally feel. <laughs> He's like, God, why, my friend? Why, my Lord? So for most of us in here, because we read chapter four before, it's not surprising. But if this was the first time we ever read it, we'll say, where's chapter five? Where's the redemptive arc of Jonah? We need Jonah to make it because in so many ways, rooting for Jonah is rooting for ourselves. <laughs> At least in his story. <laughs> so what bothers Jonah about God's response to Nineveh? Yeah, I, I mean, Jonah had condemned and judged the, the, the Ninevites in his heart. These are bad people. Um, they're non-Jewish. These are, these are just really bad people. And, you know, that's obviously Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Good thought. Great thought. So that little pregnant statement he said in chapter three, now that we kind of see Jonah's heart exposed here, do you guys think he intentionally left out the plan of repentance? He totally probably didn't want that dude them to repent. It seems the most likely situation, especially how upset he is that they do change. It seems like the most plausible, like, come on, I didn't even tell you how to change. But they heard about God. 
they already had heard that God might relent, that the God that Jonah served was a merciful God. And so they were aware of that component. And so Jonah is struggling because Nineveh does not have a covenant with God. Nineveh is not the covenant people. You know, it would be for us sitting here and we're praying that God does something awesome. And let's just say we were in some sort of disaster. We're like, protect the Casco Bay Church. But whoever you consider our rival, whoever, let's just say I'm going to give one on the right and I'm going to give one on the left. Let's just say we're like uh, alt-right. As he rescues us, he rescues alt-right. As he rescues us, he rescues Antifa. If you're into politics, if you're not into politics, it doesn't really matter. But if you are, but you're like, man, God redeemed Antifa, but they love the LGBTQ and all the other stuff. Or, all right, they're racist. They hate minorities and immigrants. Seriously, God? We could feel that way. We could feel like, nah, God. You know, I mean, this last um, political cycle was nuts for the people who was on social media. If you weren't on social media, you thought the world was fine. Because <laughs> normal people operate in normal life. But on social media, you saw some crazy things. And what we saw that made it really challenging is once you started to hear people's political ideology, there were too many people I've seen, at least online, who said, I don't know if they're a believer. You know, the, the intensity with the things associated like with masks, like, oh, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, freedom, Jesus, 666, all these crazy things. Again, there's a lot of us, if we're being completely honest, that sometimes we feel like God don't save this person. God don't redeem this person, don't redeem this community. And so Jonah, I mean, Jonah is so upset right now because Jonah sees that God's compassion has no borders. God's compassion has no community that he favors over another. And so Jonah's like, Jesse mentioned earlier, just, I could have stayed home. You would have done this regardless. So what is he trying to teach Jonah? Ultimately, what is he trying to teach Jonah's audience? Jonah's response to God was failure. Let's talk about the shelter and the plant. Heather mentioned it earlier. Does the passage say here that the shelter was insufficient? It doesn't say anything about the insufficiency of the shelter. And yet God provides what? A plant, a gift. Now, we're all in here good Jews. We read Torah, we study Torah, we meditate on Torah. We got our rabbi here, Lenny. We sit at his feet and he teaches us Torah. And so Lenny, remember a couple of weeks ago, taught us Torah. He said uh, uh, a shelter is the Hebrew word Sukkot, where we get our word for the Feast of Tabernacle, where Israel wandered in the desert and they had an opportunity to remember that they're called out people protected by God. And those shelters, they did it for a week to remember, hey, we're called out and we're protected by God. And then this plant, we all know God is a, is a gardener. He got a green thumb. What's his most famous garden he's ever planted? Eden. So he plants a tree. 
Jonah builds a, 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 a shelter. God says, I got you one better than that shelter. I got you Eden. And he's so happy. He's like, this is good. This is the only time he's ever happy in the whole story. <laughs> Exceedingly happy. There's no, he's not happy. You just saw 120,000 people repent, right? In our fellowship, we're throwing a party. <laughs> like, we did it! <laughs> Even though there's a lot of other people who, whatever. But this tree came up, he's like, this is it. He's like, this? <laughs> the fish, seeing them repent, if I keep this tree, I'm good. He's like, this is it. The imagery that's supposed to be triggered here are the... T- tabernacle, I mean, the festival, the festival of booths where they wandered in the desert and then eat it. Now that I just gave you that little bit of spoiler, what are the tensions here? What, what do you think the author is trying to draw in our imagination now that I kind of cheated for you a little bit? Because he's making a comparison. Yes. Okay, Irene's tracking the story. What, what, what's happening here? The shelter, the plant, what's going on? The, there is a comparison happening here. So I, and then Josiah. Yeah, no, go for it. Yeah, so it seems like um, God, God had compassion on Jonah as well. This story, whole story is filled with God's compassion and patience with Jonah as well. God had a test on Jonah, gave him the plan, it was, he felt blessed, it was God's blessing, and then he took, took it away, which is exactly what was going to happen to Nineveh, actually. Like, a few years down the road, God was going to bless Nineveh, and, and then their days were going to come, come to an end. This is all part of God's, God's working in this world, working in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this story continues, continues into the New Testament. We're, we're going to, if we have time, we'll look at Acts chapter 10. But the comparison that's happening right now is the shelter was built. And then you have Eden right here. What, were you going to add to that, Josiah? Yeah, we're, we're, so you're tracking the exile story. You're tracking the exile. We're going to talk about exile fairly shortly. So the Amplified actually says it's probably a castor oil plant. Nice. Um, and it, it's like, it actually is, is known for like insecticide. Uh, 
<laughs> it didn't keep this one. I mean, a warm is not a bug, but it feels like one. Yeah. Um, this is more like, again, furthering that, like, a more pleasant environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so what came first? The covenant with Israel or the Eden, Edenic covenant? Eden. Eden. Jonah is only concerned about his people, his shelter. God plants this tree and like, it's about the big story, buddy. It isn't just you. It isn't just what you got going over here. I want to provide you something. You see what this tree makes you feel super comfortable? That's what happens when the whole non-Jewish people are receiving this covenant. Now, again, I cheated. I did, all, I did a lot of the work for you guys. But if you're really interested in this, there's um, a guy whose name begins with an I and his last name is Burgessick. German guy, Burgess Sick. It's called Jonah and the Garden. That's the name of the book. <laughs> but, but he's a rabbi and he's studied this a lot. And so he, he's really good at making these connections. So I did a lot of that for you. So if you're really interested, jo, um, Jonah and the Garden of Eden is the book where 60% of the, the ideas are coming from. If you're really interested in unpacking it even further. Um, but the idea is it isn't about our covenant. Now think about it for us. Sometimes we're like followers of Jesus, yay, and everyone else, hey. And then sometimes we could get even more insular, our denomination. Baptist, yay. Pentecostal, yay. Even, even more insular, ICOC, yay. Them other Christians be out here doing whatever. And we could get even more insular, Casco Bay, yay. And we could get even more insular, my community group, yay. The other community groups are filled with evil people. But this one right here is good. The, 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 challenge, the challenge is the moment you only, con- only concern yourself with your people, your story, you've lost the story. And that's what Jonah did here. He lost the story. He was like, you're over here being kind of Nineveh. He's like, this is, it was always the plan that Israel was going to be a light to the, to the nations. And this was your opportunity to buy into that story. And at varying points, you rejected the story. So we read in chapter two, when God vomit him out, he's like, you just don't get it, dude. But I help you get it. And he looks out and he looks and he sees. And so the idea of the shelter and the plant is supposed to call to mind that God is working this huge story, this huge story that we're a part of. And it does not, and it should never end with the Casco Bay Church or our community groups. And it just keeps going until the whole world can see the glory of God. And Jonah just couldn't buy into that story because that just meant ISIS terrorists need to hear the glory of God and need to experience the mercy of God. Those people who've abused people in ways that make us want to throw up need to hear the story of God and the glory of God. Those who just annoy us because they're just so weird, they like baseball, they need to hear the glory of God. <laughs> shout out to the baseball guys. I threw a little shout at you guys, man. <laughs> but why does God remove the plant? If the plant is eaten, why does he remove it? Who else has he removed from the garden. Adam and Eve. Anyone else got removed? Serpent. Serpent. <laughs> serpent. <laughs> the serpent type creature. Okay, anyone else? 
has been removed from the garden? Israel. Israel. So Jonah is super concerned about Nineveh not being right before God and not giving an opportunity and upset about God's compassion. But like Jesse just mentioned, Israel is about to experience what happens when God isn't compassionate. They're about to be exiled from the land. Most, not all, most biblical scholars will put this story shortly after the exile. That this is a story that took place after the exile. So this is a looking back at Jonah's ministry and coming back here and be like, yeah, when, when they did repent, we weren't happy. And now we're in this situation. And we're like, God, I wish you were merciful. God, I wish you responded. And so why does God remove the plant? He's trying, to, he's trying to communicate something here, I think, and it's about the exile. He wants us to understand that when we lack compassion, this is a teaching of Jesus. When we don't forgive, he doesn't forgive. You know, we like using the term salvation issue. Lack of forgiveness is a salvation issue. Lack of kindness and compassion. God's like, with the measure used against others will be used against you. And so for all of us in here, if you're like, man, I don't have compassion for that group of people. I don't have no mercy. You can't believe what they did to me. Okay. You're going to give an account to the Lord one day. So if you're like, yeah, you better be a-okay. You better, if you blow up on everybody, the Lord will blow up on you. Preferably not. But he might. He says he will. And so this is supposed, this, this is, a, this is a, a very telling story for all of us. It's a challenging story. What do we make of God's questions here? He asked a couple of questions in chapter 4. Elaborate. Why do you say that? Okay, anyone else? What do we make of God's questions here? Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And then the last thing where he's like uh, 120,000 people and some animals. Jesse? Yeah. Are you angry too? Like all the people are reading this, you know? So yeah. Ken. I was just gonna say, uh, God using the question to get him to hopefully examine his heart. You know, he's, he's just trying to poke poke him. Hopefully he'll he can uh, um, he can 
God's still working to to get at his heart, and he's using a question to still still try to reach his heart. So uh, what this reminded me of actually was um, in Job when God finally responds to Job, and he, you know, basically three fourths of the book he's talking with his friend, he's waiting to hear from God, and when God responds, he asks him a bunch of questions about, oh, who tells the thunder where to clap, and where the who tells the earth where you know where it rains. And these are similar questions, kind of like, you know, I think indirectly asking Gemini, like, who do you think I am? Like, I'm God. And, and, and so kind of to Ken's point, like, he's kind of reminding Gemini, like, hey, yeah, you're angry, but you're being really selfish right now. And do you know who you're talking to in my history? Yeah. Um, Irene, then Tim. Uh, it's kind of interesting because God says the same thing to uh, Cain. Yes, come on, man. Says, you got me excited. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Mm-hmm. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You know, I just feel like it's a very similar situation in a way that he's trying to tell Jonah. So that is an intentional hyperlink. That if Jonah was given the opportunity, he would have killed them the same way Cain killed Abel. And he's, he's trying to help him see that that's how angry you are with these people. That you can't even see you're willing to kill your own brother, a brother in humanity. And it's like, oh gosh. And you know, he doesn't pick up on it. He's like, oh, I'm still so upset I could die. He's like, Tim. Yeah. It's like the author has the intention of like illustrating something that we feel like we've said multiple times throughout Jonah, like we feel the same way. Jonah's like a great representation of how we can be sometimes. The questions are intended for us too. It's like Yeah, it's not just like about the town of Nineveh, but also like other people that we feel like we just mentioned earlier, like justice and fairness and all that stuff. Yeah, and you know, Jonah's impulse here, is it wrong that he wants justice for what Nineveh has done to the people of Israel? Like, is it wrong inherently that he wants justice? So what, what, what's wrong here with his situation? Irene. Ah, Ellen. <laughs> Powerful. It's not like, um, you know, we see kids grow up and you want to see one side of something. And it's maturity that helps them embrace both and thinking about that thing, you know, and um, probably confusing as much, but that's God's questions help us mature. Yeah. 
No, that, that's a powerful thought, Ellen. I think that's the hardest part when you desire justice and still look at them as image bearers. When you deeply desire someone to be held accountable for what they've done, but never lose the sight that they're still image bearers. And it's, it's a very gray area, it's a very challenging area, but when you get to the point that you don't even remotely desire their redemption, you've transitioned and you've become a Cain figure. And that's what the scripture is trying to keep us from becoming, Cain figures. So we want justice, we want what's right. And so Jonah, Jonah, God's impulse to hold the city accountable wasn't wrong. But when they change, and God, like, like um, Ellen mentioned, is the ultimate judge of the heart, and he saw their change, he's like, all right, I won't do it anymore. I'm merciful. Jonah should have sought a bigger victory there, which is challenging. It's really challenging, especially in a culture where, you know, moral outrage is rewarded. You know what I mean? Like, forgiveness and kindness is shunned in our culture today more than ever. You know... <clears throat> To even get on a more sensitive topic, like for the minorities in here, the black people and uh, um, Spanish people, when some, some sort of injustice takes place and something happens, there's that tension we feel like, okay, we want the person held accountable for what they did. We see the teachings of Jesus and wants us to forgive, but we also desire justice. And it's in these moments, not just us, but I think in this unique season that we have to be very careful that we don't become the Cain figure. That we don't take on and, and, and descend into non-imageness of God and say, okay, I desire justice. And we shouldn't feel bad when justice occurs. But at the same time, we never desire someone not to experience redemption. Chanel. Seriously. Yeah, and you know, I think that's a powerful point, Chanel. And I think we have to, especially in our culture, it's an all or nothing kind of thing. And we don't need to play those games. We could, our, our all or nothing is following Jesus. But everyone else's all or nothing, we could reject. We could say, no, it doesn't have to be this way. It, we, nuance is challenged in our culture, but we reward nuance as faithful disciples of Jesus. We know things are nuanced. And I bring that up to say, even I just mentioned the minority piece, I think also in the majority piece, to be able to have compassion when your minority brothers and sisters are grieving, to be able to see it. Again, like he, he's grieving over a plant. We, we could joke a little bit about a plant, but some of us, man, we'll, it'll, be a, it'll be a hard night if we lost our favorite animal. But then when your minority brothers and sisters are grieving over someone who looks like them in the mirror race-wise, and that happens, then you're like, dude, get over it. It's not you. It could be very challenging. 
And so we want to be people who balance that spectrum really well and reflect the image of God to one another. And it takes community to work together. And again, labels is so dangerous. You start saying, man, we need to be balanced and we need to have compassion. Is that the social gospel? Is that the um, social justice gospel? No, it's called love your neighbor as yourself. Like, love your neighbor as yourself. Connect at that level with yourself. And it takes work. It takes community. And that's why we're doing this together. But this is what Jonah's story is supposed to be like, ugh, just reaching at all the things in our hearts. Now, if you've got a really good heart, you're like, you're, you probably already wept after we were done reading. And you're just like, how am I going to make it? And with man, that's impossible. With God, all things are possible. But... um What do you think the author wants the audience? How do you think the author wants the audience to respond in this book? And we're going to get to the, oh, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. So east. So after Cain killed Abel, he went east. God said, I would protect you. No one will harm you. And what did Cain do? He's like, you know what? I'm going to build me a city to protect myself. He didn't trust God's word again. So not only did he kill his brother, and God says, no one's going to harm you. You're going to be good. He's like, I'm going to build a city, though, to protect me. And that city is the city that would eventually turn into what we see here in Nineveh. Like Nimrod would come from that line and then he, he, would, um, he would find Babylon and Nineveh, actually two of Israel's arch enemies. And so again, in his pursuit of protection, he isolated himself. And I think, again, especially as believers, we can isolate ourselves fairly easy and live in our Christian bubble. And we're like, don't come in here. But we want people to come in because God's table is open to everyone. With that being said, how do you think the author wants the audience to respond to the book? Well, it's kind of, it's kind of talking about some, but just the, the fact that the story isn't, doesn't have a conclusive ending, I think it's, you know, the author wants us to kind of pull that into wherever our current day is. Come on, bro. If I had like a snicker bar, I'd throw it at you for winning. <laughs> But I don't have any any candy to give. Anyone else? That I mean, that was good. But anyone else? That was great. Yeah, you got it, Mark. You did it, bro. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do. We're, it, when, when you see a story like this end in the Bible, and it just feels abrupt, like when you read the Book of Acts, and it just feels abrupt, like why is it ending here? These authors are intended. You pick it up from here. You continue telling this story. You continue to see how this story applies and impacts you. So messianic expectations here. I said we we're going to see Jesus. In what ways did we see Jesus? If you say, man, when he was in the fish for three days and three nights, there was Jesus. Amen. Get, what, what else did Je- where else did we see Jesus and the messianic expectations? Okay. It was different because, um, in some ways, both Jonah and Jesus were in control of the storm. But for Jonah's case, it was because of his sin, whereas in Jesus' case, it wasn't because of his sin. Nice. Okay. Ken, and then Hadir. Um, it very parallel to Jesus with the, the Pharisees, and they're not accepting that Jesus was coming for everybody, not just the Jews. So it's really a preparation for the hearts of all people that. Yeah. Hi there. Um, so this story is compassionate with everyone, even the Gentiles. Yeah. 
Jesse. This might be a stretch, but in chapter 3, verse 6, it says, The king rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, and covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in dust. It like evokes like Jesus coming down from heaven. Yeah, and grieving with his people. Come on, bro. There's a lot of messianic expectations if you see the big story of what God's trying to do. And that's bringing people together as one. So the king's behavior, coming with the people, and then becoming one with them to grieve together. It's like nuts. It's like fired up. Like, this is the kind of stuff that like I get up and I go in Stephen's bedroom and be like, yo, this is fired up. <laughs> he never replies the way I want him to, but he's going to get there one day. Pray for Stephen, man. We're trying to get him excited about scriptures. He wants to talk about dinosaur chain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's look at let's look at the book of Acts as we come in for a closing. Acts chapter ten. All right. Beginning in verse 9, but it's an important part to the story. In verse 5, Acts chapter 10, verse 5. Now, send men from Joppa. That's where Peter was. So chapter 9 ends, Peter stayed in Joppa. Where we also saw Joppa in the story of Jonah. And so this is where Peter's story picks up here. In, in chapter 10. And then let's go to verse 5. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the, the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke with him had gone, Cornelius called two of his, the, um, two of his servants and a devout so soldier, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, Approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely, surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time and said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So what do we see here? Peter is hungry, hungry, hungry. He goes into a trance. He has this vision of these unclean animals. Now, most of us are familiar. It's true in this culture, not as much as in America, but it's true in America. One of the most hospitable things we could do is eat another person's food like that makes us family so if you prepare the world famous dish of whatever your family is my job as a host is to eat it and by me eating it i'm saying we are now at a unique and intimate level so peter has this dream and he's talking about animals and god is talking about people peter is like i don't want to eat with these people i don't want to connect with these people but he's thinking about animals. God is like, you're doing the same thing with the people. That you don't want to connect with them. You don't want to be at the same table with them. 
And so the Lord had to give Peter a vision. So Peter gets up and he goes. And let's read in uh, verse 44 of chapter 10. It says, while Peter was still speaking, speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter was astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter says, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Let's go to chapter 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into a house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. He's all right. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. So he shares about the vision. He shares what happens. He's like, this was good. This was great. Let's go to verse 17 in chapter 11. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could not stand in God's way? That I could stand in God's way. When they heard this, they had no further objections. And praise God saying, so even the Gentiles... So that even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. What I find unique about this story is Peter didn't share Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. He could have just went to the scripture and said, this is the plan that God had the whole time. But he doesn't share any scriptures here. What does Peter share? His experience. Peter says, I had this vision. I saw this thing happen. It was very clear to me that God was working here. You know, a lot of times when it comes to us moving into different areas and doing different things, sometimes we don't have a precedent for it until we look back at it after we did it. And this is this is scary territory, especially for us Church of Christers who's like, man, it better be right here. I think it is here. But sometimes you got to go out there first and then you come back and you realize it was there. And you're like, good. I was in line with the work of the spirit. And so here is a unique story that. Joppa is important because Peter did something that our, our, our dear brother Jonah wasn't able to do. Peter was able to see the work of God and say, come in. I mean, what's wild too is he screws up later on too. He does, he does. He didn't get it completely. Yeah, but it's so cool to see that. <laughs> he did, and, and he needed a little bit more work, and then Galatians speak to that as well. He, he needed a lot of work. This was a tough subject for him. Totally. So even after seeing all this, he was still like, I don't know. But I love the silence here that the, that the other brothers give them when they're like, we got no further objections. Like when we see something good, when we see God doing something good, even if it's outside of the box that we feel most comfortable with. And I'm guilty of this, too. I love my box. I want everything to fit in my box. I want my box neat. I want to be able to explain it to people who may ask me questions. But when we see it fit in God's larger box, which is all of the cosmos, we should have no further objections. And so I want to call us as we end our series on Jonah to be able to move to wherever the spirit is calling us. Whatever social group we feel uncomfortable with, whatever person we feel uncomfortable with, be able to be used as an agent to glorify God. And the rest of us, when we see them doing, see one of us doing it, 
we have no further objections as long as we know it's the work of God happening and we can share about our experiences. So that's the Jonah series. We are done. And now we're going to the big story next.